Our scripture reading this morning will be taken from Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78. Deuteronomy 6. One through nine. In Psalm 78. After you find it, go ahead and stand for the reading of God's word. Deuteronomy 6. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the judgments, which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit down in your house. And when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Psalm 78. Verses 1 through 8. Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generations to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and not, like, and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. This concludes the reading of God's word. You may sit. Father, as I go through your word, Father, be with me, strengthen me, Father, may your word go out, that your people would be encouraged, that your people would be full of hope, Lord, that they would trust you, that they would put all their faith into you, Lord, and hope in you, and that they would see your faithfulness to them, Lord, and love you. I just pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. In the room, down the hall, the children were bouncing with excitement as they anticipated the arrival of mom 
mom's new baby? Were they going to have a new baby brother? Or was it going to be a baby sister? They didn't know. But the day had arrived and mom was with the assistants and ready to have her child at any minute. Dad was with the kids uh, also. He was excited, but mixed inside of his excitement was worry. For times were hard for him and his wife. Not only were they being supported with very little means, the government itself was coming down hard against non-citizens. He looked up at the ceiling and said, God will take care of us. His thoughts were broken when the nurse came into the room and said, Dad, would you like to come and meet your new baby? He jumped up and ran down to the room where his wife was, and she was there beaming with joy. Honey, it's a boy, a beautiful boy. Wow, he is gorgeous, so distinctive looking. He definitely takes after his mama. He, he, honey, it's a boy. No, 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 honey, it's a boy. You know the king's edict, all male children are to be put to death. No, no, no one needs to know. No one needs to know. Honey, if they find him and, and that we hid him and we did not adhere to the king's edict, they may kill us. What will happen to Miriam and Aaron? No, no. What are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know what we're going to do. Honey, look how beautiful he is. There's something different about this child. Have you ever seen a child like this? Have you ever seen a child so beautiful? The hand of the Lord is here, honey. God is with us. Could he be the one? Could he be the one to redeem our people? Could he be the one even to crush the head of the serpent? Honey, God is here with us. I do not fear the king's edict. Neither do I. Let's hide him. We'll hide him and we'll do what we can and we will put our faith in God. And you guys know the story that I'm dramatizing here. This is the story of Moses and uh, we don't know exactly what the conversation was between Moses' mom and dad, but we do know from Hebrews eleven twenty three by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. God's man, God's prophet, God's redeemer of his people, the Hebrews, Moses, at that time when the enemy was coming against God's people, was saved. His life, his physical life was saved, and it was saved through the faith of his parents. Real people in real time having to make real decisions in the moment with the fear and the anxiousness and everything. What do we do? We trust God. We give it to God. And in faith, we make our decisions. And in faith, we do everything and live our lives. Now, Moses' mom and dad, 
uh, it was at a time, it was, it was Pharaoh coming against him. The spear of Antichrist filled Pharaoh, and he's wanting to kill all the male children. We're raising kids not in necessarily the same uh, culture and climate, but it is still the Antichrist spirit in this world, and it's coming after your children. It's wanting to warp their minds. It's wanting to destroy their souls. Government, our secular society, wants to extinguish any bit of light of God that can be there. The school system is indoctrinating our kids with things that I, when I was a kid, if you would have told me, I would have said, no way. There's no way they're going to teach that in schools. And they're teaching it. And you know what I'm speaking of. And we have inside of our culture, our entertainment, everything is vying for your children. Everything is vying to sweep them in, suck them in, to make them part of this antichrist, godless society. And the new righteousness, the new piety of the day is blind submission to the government. These are not good times that we live in. It is also trying to destroy our children. But not only is the culture in which we live in seeking their lives, but we inside of the church also live in a church time in this country, in, in America, that these aren't the best of times for the church. I quote David Helm, from nearly every angle of observable and empirical evidence that can be gathered, this we know to be true. The church is in trouble. We read regularly of her failed moral leadership, insensitivities, as well as immoralities uncovered. There are denominational statisticians that will tell us of memberships in decline across this nation. Journalists are doing their investigative reporting and speaking to us about the church's inability to attract and keep young people. Unimpressive conversions and baptism rates are well documented. The church's lack of street cred and her inability to have social care are known as is her dearth of biblical literacy. Even among congregations that have grown up in and with the Bible for decades. A dearth of biblical literacy or lack of biblical literacy. The church itself, even in congregations where the word has been taught and preached in and throughout for decades, the people know little of their Bibles. Barnapol, 2022. Two-thirds of parents of preteens claim to be Christian. This is polling outside of the church on two-thirds of parents of preteens claim to be Christian, but only 2% hold a biblical worldview. One-fifth of Christian parents believe there is more than one way to heaven. Now the poll switches to inside the church. These are church-going people. Nine out of ten desire to please and honor Jesus in all that they do. Nine out of ten. I don't know who the other 10% are that don't desire to please God. Maybe some hyper-Calvinists. I don't know. But good intentions. Six out of 10. Think about biblical truth throughout the day. That's good. 60%. little over half the church thinks about biblical truths throughout the day. 
these are where the numbers start to get scary. Four out of 10 read more than once a day. Four out of 10 read their, read their Bible. Four out of 10 read their Bible occasionally, meaning one to two times maybe a month. Two out of 10 never read their Bibles. This is churchgoers. Never read their Bibles. So that means six out of every 10 churchgoers are not in their Bible. They don't know the Word of God. They are not Bible people. 60% of the church. How are you going to raise children unto the Lord not knowing the Word of God? We just read from Deuteronomy and Psalm 78. We are to teach our children the Word, to pass it down continually. It's troubling times. It's scary times. It's daunting times for parents. You've got a society that's coming against you. You've got a church that's not helping. So what does mom and dad do? And so I came up with five points on what I think mom and dads must do, should do, ought to do. But first I want to start off with my main point, what I want to drive home today. Raising, Christ, raising children under the Lord takes faith. Raising children under the Lord takes faith. It's going to be you trusting the Lord in everything that you do in your life as you're raising your kids. You have to do it in faith. It is not enough to teach lessons, send them to school, equip them for this world. You must demonstrate faith to your children. And so my first point, you must be thoroughly Christian. Christ must be at the center of your life completely. Deuteronomy 6, 5 and 6, I just read, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These are the words that are commanding you today and that it be on your heart. Your Christianity, your following of the Lord has to be in your heart. It cannot be something that is peripheral. It cannot be something that you add to the side. It cannot be something that first comes work, first comes buying a home, first comes career, first come no. Your Christianity has to be first if you want to faithfully raise kids. You have to be thoroughly Christian. You cannot pass something on that you yourself do not possess. You cannot expect your children to value what you do not value. You cannot expect your children to prioritize Christ if you yourself do not prioritize him. You must be thoroughly Christian. You must be chasing after him with all of your heart or it will not work. When I first got saved, I was thoroughly convinced of this. Like, nobody had to tell me to get in the Bible. I got saved out of the Word, and I was on fire. I'm in the Word. I'm reading nonstop. So I didn't have to be convinced of this. And one of my favorite sections of the Scripture was Psalm 1. 
Uh, we, you guys know it. Everybody knows Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And, and the end result of this man is that he's, he's pictured as a tree planted by rivers of water. He's this tree that when the droughts come, he cannot be destroyed. He's, he's drawing on the waters of the word of God. His leaf does not wither. He is strong and he's able to withstand. And he brings forth fruit in his season. And the reason I bring this verse up, I, this psalm up, I know it's always brought up all the time. But I think sometimes we read it wrong. I think sometimes we read it at, and day and night he reads, but it doesn't say read. It says day and night he meditates. I think sometimes that we confuse a 15-minute devotion in the morning or, or a Bible reading program with setting our mind and heart on the Word of God, and it's not. It's the first step. You need to do it. You need, you need to read. But the man of Psalm 1 isn't just reading. He's meditating. He is throughout the day churning the word of God in his heart, trying to understand it. He's, he's bringing it into other things that, he's, that are coming at him inside the world. And he's working the word. How do I live? How do I navigate this? What does God's word say? He, he's a man thoroughly uh, thoroughly just engulfed in the word of God and it's informing him, it's, it's causing him to make the decisions that he makes because he is thoroughly meditating upon the word. He's not just doing a 10-minute devotion and then running off to what he really wants to do. He's a man of faith. You must be men and women, parents of faith if you want to pass this on to your children. You must be and this is the picture that the word gives to us, that we are to meditate in the word. We are to thoroughly saturate our minds and our hearts with his thinking. And what do you get when you do that? You get discernment. You're able to, you're able to navigate through this world with discernment. No, you may not have every single answer in here because you don't need every single answer. You need principles. You need truths. You need God's heart so that when the... Uh, unexpected pops up, you'd know how to handle it because you've got the wisdom of God's word reigning in your hearts. It's in your heart like Deuteronomy commands. must be in your heart. And so, as a man, as a, as a woman, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a mom, as a wife, as you meditate through the word, what happens? Sins are killed. Sins that inside of a secular marriage, inside of a non-Christian marriage may destroy it. But through the word of God, you're able to navigate, those, see those sins and put it to death. You know that this doesn't please God. You know that this is against him. You know that's not who you are anymore. And so you put to death your sins. You feed your soul. You feed your spirit. You make war on your flesh. This means that as you're raising children and it comes time to, to train and to teach, you're able to set aside hobbies that would take up your time. You're able to set aside entertainment and TV and everything else that the world goes after and even brings their children into. 
You're able to set it aside. You're able to prioritize. You're able to do what is necessary. And even for men, when it comes to you work and to providing through faith and understanding of the Word of God, you learn to how to balance your work. Because your job isn't just to go make a living, men. Your job is to raise children. It falls on you. When Jesus Christ comes knocking at the door and asks for, account, for an account of this home, he's not going to go to your wife. He's going to call you into the room. And you have to give an account. You are the head of the home. If we want to raise children unto the Lord, if we want to raise children that hope in the Lord, whose confidence is in the Lord, you must be thoroughly Christian. You must be striving after it yourself. What happens if we don't do that? Well, Christ doesn't permeate our lives. He's not the foundation of ours. He's not the priority. He's there a little bit on Sunday in times of trouble, but he's not the decisive factor in our lives that proves he's truly the Lord of lives. And our children see that. Children see that. They see when you talk about what you talk about God and the necessity of God, and they see right through it, and they think you're a hypocrite. 23 years I've been walking with the Lord, and the people that I've come into contact who have walked away from the Lord, one of their biggest complaints was, Mom, always, Mom and Dad always want me to go to church, and they always want me to do this and do that, but they themselves never did it. It hurt them. You have to be thoroughly Christian. By faith, you have to be thoroughly Christian. You have to pursue it with all of your heart. That's what Deuteronomy is saying. With all of your heart. Just as much as you go after your career, men. Just as much as you try to make a name for yourself. To show everybody how smart and successful and all this you are. It's a waste. You're called to do that for your children, for your family, for your wife. The world needs to see something different from the church. It's got to see men and women that faith, they hope in God. And they live like it. This is what Dave means when there's no street cred. You say you believe in Jesus, I don't see it. I don't see it. You live just like I do. Your priorities and everything, your desires, they're just like mine. Why do I need your Jesus? And your kids are going to say the same thing. They're going to say the same thing. You must be thoroughly Christian. Dad gets a promotion at work. But the promotion is for a position in a different state. And so... The family's packed up, they're driving to the new home, and as they're getting closer to the new home and the new state, um, mom pops up. I wonder if there's any good churches there. Dad's like, I'm sure there's plenty of good churches there. (laughs) The exact opposite should happen. The first thing, Dad, you should be doing if you get a promotion in a different state, you're on the phone, you're finding out what, if there's a good church for you and your family there. You're calling pastors. You're checking churches out. It's the lifeblood of your family. You're not just about your job. You're not just about your career and your money and your big homes. You're not just about that. You're about the salvation 
in the faith and the hope of your family. Dad, you're called to work hard. Work hard at your job. Work hard at everything. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. But remember, there's a day of judgment. So put it in balance. Mom, the same for you. You're called, Mom, to take care of the home. You're called to manage the home, to be at home. I'm going to say it. You cannot have a career and faithfully raise kids at the same time. You can't do it. They need you all the time. They need you doing that. And why do I say that? Because it's by faith you can't live like the rest of the world. By faith you're going to give up what the world gets. By faith you do it. By faith you, you, you the seduction of women's lib and everything our our nation has been pumping into your minds and your hearts. By faith, you say no, because God has called me to do this, and if I lose everything, I lose it. But by faith, I will raise my kids how he's called me to raise them. By faith, we will raise kids unto the Lord. And so, you must be thoroughly Christian You must, with all of your heart, know the Word of God, swim in the Word of God, permeate your lives with the Word of God. You must be that so that you teach your children through how your life looks and how it works out and plays out. And they know, wow, mom and dad are about Jesus. They're about Jesus. This is real to them. My mom and dad are not phony. They are Jesus freaks. You are the greatest teachers your kids will ever have. You have them at least up to 18. And all that training, all that teaching, everything going into their lives day after day after day is coming from you. You are going to teach them and make every bit of everlasting impression upon them in their lives. It's you. You're the greatest teachers of your children. By faith you live lives to the glory of God and pursue Him. And by God's grace they will see His worth. As you do this, by God's grace, you're not hoping in your work. You're not hoping in your faithfulness. You're not hoping in, oh, I did this just right. Because we're not going to do it perfectly. We're going to mess up. As we pursue this, we're going to mess up. And that's why we hope ourselves in God. Our faith is in Him Our faith is in that he will have mercy and grace. Now you may be thinking, okay, I can do that. I can do that. We we already do that kind of. We're teaching our kids through our lives and church is important to us. And uh, we we make a priority for Christ and his word. We we do that. Are we good? Am I good? Can I stop at that? (laughs) Uh, No, you can't stop at that. As you go on in Deuteronomy 6, 7, and 9, you shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down, when you rise up. You are teaching your kids, not nearly through the way you live your life, but now you're teaching them the word of God. You must know the word of God so that you can teach your kids the word of God. 
One of the verses that really impacted me when I was younger was 2 Timothy 2.15. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does, does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. Well, I know that in the context of 2 Timothy, this is to Timothy and to preachers and pastors, elders, who must handle the word of God. We must do that. But we're raising kids. Are you ever going to go and look at that verse and say, ah, that's not for me? As you're raising up boys, as you're raising up girls, you got oh no, that's for, that's for guys like Chris, and they just, they need to handle the word of God. Men, do not be like that. You're going to give an account for how you, what you've taught your kids and how you've taught them. You need to know the word of God. You need to know how to protect your children from all of the philosophies and dangers that are coming at them. And the only way you do that is knowing the word of God and being able to teach them the word of God. Do everything you can to teach your kids the word of God. It says, you shall teach them. Speaking to the fathers, you, not a youth pastor, you, it's on you fathers to teach them. You must know the word of God to teach them. What we did as we uh, raised our kids growing up, we had a set devotion time with our kids every day. And I don't know, it would be in the morning, sometimes in the evenings, just depending on upon work, but every day we were set to, to do devotions with our kids. We started out with little children's Bibles. We worked through those. I, we worked through one children's Bible. I could tell you what every character looks like. I could tell you what the senses are on the word. It's just, we worked through that over and over and over as they were little kids, and they loved it, and they would always like sometimes as we're getting a little tired, they, hey, time for devotions, mom and dad. We got to do devotions. And so we'd get in there. And one of the key words here is diligently. It cannot be sporadically. It cannot be whenever. I don't care how tired you are from work. I don't care how long of a day it is. You've got to push through it, man. You were built to work. You were built to be tough. Be a man. Rise up and teach your children even in the midst of tiredness. Diligently teach them. And as we moved on from children's work Bibles, we moved on to regular adult Bibles, and we just constantly, every day, devotions, devotions. We would go on vacations. We would not let go of devotions on vacations. My thinking was that if, I, if we stop devotions on vacation time, what am I teaching them? Vacation is more important than God. We're free. We don't need to, we don't need to, we don't need to do this. No. Vacation time. We're still 8 o'clock in the morning, we're doing devotions. God is worthy. He is our worship. He is our focus. And so as we did that, and so as we did the devotions, it pays to go back to be that man of Psalm 1. As we work through texts, and as you yourself are meditating on the word and knowing the word, now as you do devotions to kids, it's like, oh, I can teach this to them. I can answer their little questions because you've already done it for yourself. You're ready. You're equipped. You can do it. And the other thing that drove me to do devotions that led me like this is so important, so just paramount to do 
the, the, the truths of the Bible, the promises of the Bible. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. If I know that faith comes by hearing and it's by the Word of God, why would I not do devotions with my kids? Why would I not keep pumping the Word into their little hearts every day while I have them? We did devotions. We taught them the Word of God. It's commanded. So, we did devotions by faith. By faith. We do devotions with them by faith, knowing that the Word is what saves a soul, that faith is born through the Word of God. And so we dedicated ourselves to devotion time, teaching the Word of God. And that was the other nice thing about Jasmine staying home this whole time is that uh, sometimes on late nights or busy days where I'm not even home, she's right there doing devotions. She's leading them. Mom, you can lead devotions. You can teach them. You can, you can do these things. This is why it's so great that there's always a parent there. They're training up these hearts unto the Lord. Not only are we teaching them the word of God, loving them that way through faith, but by faith, we love them through the rod of correction. We love them through disciplining them. The Bible says if you, uh, if you don't spank your child, if you don't use the rod of correction, you don't love them. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction shall drive it far from them. Now this one is going to take faith. This one is going to take faith because you've got not only a society that is totally against spanking, but you also have a large portion of the church that is against spanking. When we are correcting our children with spanking, it goes back to the the principles, right? It goes back to who they are. Um, part of that Barna group study, I didn't have on here, but 65% of church-going parents believe that their children are born innocent. They don't even know who their children are. We're not born innocent. We're born with a sin nature. And inside of that sin nature, inside of a child's heart, foolishness is bound up. It's there. They're going to operate inside of that. And the prescription from God's word is that the rod of correction will drive it away. Now, when it came to spanking, everybody's like, what is spanking? (laughs) The way we always did it, it it was the little paddle, and it was on the butt. And it was always, they always knew why they were getting spanked. And always after the spanking, there was always an explanation of what happened, and then a hug and a kiss and restoration right back into family time. There's something about spanking that is so clean, cleansing, atoning, and restorative. I grew up um, not as, I didn't grow up as a Christian, but I was spanked. And um, all my friends that I grew up with, they were not spanked. And I could always see uh, such a difference in them. It was... um, how do I explain it? It was, they were very, they kind of had a recklessness to them. Like there was never a fear of consequences. I was always afraid of consequences because I always felt pain if I did something bad. But I noticed with my friends, it was, and to me it was shocking because it was like, you know you're going to have to pay for that. You know you're going to have to 
There's going to be consequences. And to, to them, it was like, it wasn't there. There was something different. Even as we spanked our kids and we would come into contact with other kids, my kids, Bailey, Ethan, they look, Dad, they're not spanked. <laughs> you can always tell the difference between kids that are spanked and kids that are sent to a corner, which I'll be honest with you, I think is morbid. To send a kid to a corner and stand there and stare for 30 minutes. There's nothing that is restorative about that. There's nothing that is cleansing about that. They're sitting there becoming angry. This is stupid. This means nothing. It's not good for them. There was something so clean. We would take our kids, they disobey. What would we spank for? Disobedience. It was just disobedience. And number two, we spanked for attitudes. Attitudes we would spank for. Bad attitudes would not be prohibited in our home. It would be spanked. But there was something so... The disobedience would happen. We explain it to them. Couple swats. The loving hug. And they're back with us in a matter of minutes. Being part of the family. Enjoying our family time. And carrying on. Spank your kids. It's what God has prescribed. I was listening to, I had to touch up on a lot of this stuff because it's been quite a few years since I was into this stuff. And I was listening to John Piper and I just loved what he said. I would go to jail teaching you to spank your kids. He believes there's no other way. You must spank them. You must use what God has commanded it. It's by faith again because the world's telling you not to do it. Psychologists are saying you're going to ruin them. Even the church is saying don't do it. By faith we raise children unto the Lord. By faith. I think it produces respect. And I think it also teaches God's wrath. When there's that feeling of pain through disobedience, there's that reminder. There is also another judgment coming. And I think it teaches them God's wrath. And I think that the reason it produces respect, they see that mom and dad aren't uh, impotent. They're not um, just, a, just a mouth threatening things. But you, you, you tell them you're going to get spanked and then you carry through. And this is one area you, you must be diligent on. You must be consistent on spanking. Do not ever threaten your kids and then never carry through it. They will not respect you. They'll know how to manipulate you and get away with it. This is where you're, uh, you've got to power through being tired and you've got to carry through it. Um, I remember one time we were at Bible study in Mosier and we just got out of the Bible study and Judah, I think, was two, two years old. Judah was two years old. And we would, at that age, we were already spanking. Like it was... Swats, uh, little behaviors, swat, swat. We were training. And I remember one time we got out of the Bible study. Judah's coming out, the sidewalk's here, cars are parked here, and then there's a street. And there's this hot rod coming around the corner, and it's barreling through. And out of the corner of my eye, I see Judah running right out. And I could just tell by the timing of the run and the car coming, my son was going to get hit by a car. And I just blared out, Judah, with that voice of just, and my son 
stopped dead in his tracks. If he would not have stopped, he would have been hit by that car that day. And I believe that it's because my word, when I taught them and trained them, I always backed it up. They know to listen to dad. You must back up your word too. If you're going to say you're going to spank him, carry through it so they know. And then you teach them God's word. They know that God's word, if dad carries through on it, God's going to carry you on through it, right? You are representing God the Father to them as parents. Number four, not only do we want to love them by faith through spanking, but we want to show them faith by faith. And we do that mostly by praying together. Pray with your kids. Teach them how to rely on God through prayer. Um, specific needs, whatever the family might need. If you're, if you're going into trouble, if there's uh, things that are happening inside the family, let them know, let them understand so that as you pray, they're seeing you rely on God through prayer and coming to him and asking him. I remember one time, One time, uh, we were, I don't know, very young. We just, Judah was, I don't know, maybe Judah wasn't even born yet. But uh, we had Bailey, Ethan, I think like, well, no, Judah had been born. Just four, six, and two. And Jasmine said, well, I'm going to start praying for things with the kids. And one of the things she started praying for was the boys needed shirts. And so Jasmine just started, Lord, we need shirts. We buy shirts. And I don't know why she's praying for shirts, because we could just went and bought shirts, but she started praying for, church, for shirts. And then out of the blue, like a week later, her dad decides to send a box full of shirts to her. No, out of the blue. But, but in doing that, as we show our kids, as we rely on them for faith, and we pr- let them pray, join in praying with them, and they pray along, and then when they see God answer, They see God as a faithful God. God is a God that we can rely on. God is a God we can go to. I just never remember, I never forget that. I'm like, why are you praying for shirts? (laughs) And God sends a box of shirts. I remember one time, Ethan, uh, we homeschooled all the way through their educational years, except for six months, we did send them to a private school. And at the private school, there was this kid there I did not like. And he was around my son, and he was not a good kid. I said, son, I'm going to pray for that kid to leave. I prayed, and I prayed. Dad, and Ethan comes home the next week. Dad, he doesn't go to school here anymore. It's just little things like that. And you may think that's mean, but my, <laughs> my protection as a father was for my kids. And no one's going to get in the way of me protecting my kids. I'm going to protect them with all of my might. And uh, just recently, uh, Bailey was going to go to Mexico City with her employer. And I'm like, I don't want you in Mexico City without me. <laughs> and I said to Bailey, I'm going to pray that they don't go to Mexico City. A week later, Dad, they're not going to Mexico City now. <laughs> but we invite them into our prayers. We pray for the, with them. We teach them to pray. At, at mealtime, I always had both boys pray over the meal. They still do to this day. We must teach them to pray. 
Make them people of prayer that they, as they see God answer these prayers, they come to see him as a loving, caring God. That's what we want them to see is God is loving, caring. And then finally, last point, don't provoke your kids to discouragement. Last week, Chris taught on Ephesians 6, and it was don't provoke your kids to wrath here in this passage out of Colossians 3.21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. How can we raise our kids to discourage them? I think one is what I already highlighted through hypocrisy, uh, teaching them one way and living another way. It's inconsistent. It it discourages them. I think um, the way sometimes we love them uh, will heap on praise and adoration, love when they do well. And then when they do not so well, uh, we kind of ignore them. We don't love them on the same. We should be loving them the same throughout all of it, failings and successes, because we love them and not their successes. Let them know you love them. And I think uh, through discipline, I think that, uh, like it says, I was saying consistent discipline, diligent discipline. I think when uh, we become erratic in it and we yell and we scream and, or explode and we get hit, and all those things, you, the kids like, okay, mom's in a bad mood. Now let's just go to our room. We don't know what to expect. I think that discourages them. I don't think it fills them with hope. We lead them to discouragement. Um, I think another way is living vicariously through your kids. You, you're driving your kid to success because it's the success you always wanted in your life and you drive them and drive them and drive them and they can't do it. They're trying to live up to your expectations. Don't do that. That's not our hope anyway as Christian parents. Our hope is their faith in Christ, their love in Christ, their walking with Christ. That's what we want. And I think that uh, to teach them to have self-esteem is discouraging. To be confident in themselves is discouraging because they will let themselves down. They're sinners just like us. And if they're to look for health, esteem, and hope and confidence in themselves, it's going to discourage them. It's going to, put, it's going to disappoint them. I'm, I'm a loser. I can't do anything. I got nothing to be self-confident about in. And I think this is so vital, this don't provoke your kids to discourage them because the goal in parenting is the opposite. As Christian parents, we want our kids to be confident in God. All of our teaching, the way we're living our lives, the training, the discipline, is to show them God the Father. And so that they would see the worthiness of the Father and His glory and everything in our lives and what we teach them, and they would look to Him and hope in Him. That is the goal of our parenting, is so that they would hope in God, have confidence in God, be happy in God. We want our kids to say, with God we'll do valiantly. In Christ Jesus, I can do all things. If an army encamps around me, I shall not fear. It is he that arms me with strength. We want their confidence to be in God. That they hope in God and they trust in God. And that's what God wants for us as his people. He wants us not to be self-confident. 
Listen to 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9. We do not, <clears throat> we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the afflictions we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly, unbearably crushed that we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul after 20 years of ministry. Why we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that wasn't to make us not rely on ourselves or be confident in ourselves. God crushed them so they wouldn't be confident in themselves. God wants us to be confident in Him. He said, but it was to make us rely or, or be confident, not in ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. We want to raise kids that are confident in God, rely on God, hope in God, find their joy in God. That is our goal as parents. And it's what we read in Psalm 78. Psalm 78 is what, I just want to read it back to you so you can see it again. I'll start at verse 6. That the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children that they should put their confidence in God. That's why we teach our kids the word. That's why we sacrifice. That's why we pursue Christ in our hearts. That our kids would see it and hope in Him. That's the goal, parents. That's the goal. Moses was saved by the faith of his parents. His life, his physical life was saved by their faith. And his eternal soul, I believe, was saved by their faith also. Turn with me to Hebrews 11. In verse 23, we have the story of Moses' parents' faith and how their faith was the means that God used to spare Moses' physical life. But in verse 24, it says, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ, Greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him. He endured leaving Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the, of the king, enduring because he saw him. He saw Christ. He saw God. As seeing him who was unseen. I ask you, how did Moses know about Christ? It says here that he forsook the riches of Egypt for the riches of Christ. How did he know about Christ? How did he know that there were great riches with Christ? How did he know? Well, remember in the story the faith of his parents that said, we will hide him. And then after three months, they could not hide him anymore. By faith, 
they built a little ark and they put Moses in that ark and they cast him into the Nile. They were being faithful, Romans 13. <laughs> Just a little, a little sly though, a little uh, strategic. And remember that ark went down the Nile and Miriam went running along to see what was going to happen. And Pharaoh's own daughter found him and took him up. And Miriam said, do you want me to fetch one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child? Yes, fetch one of the Hebrew women. What did God do in the faith of, of Moses' parents? He gave Moses right back to him. They got to, to nurse and wean him. They were still in his life. They got to know Moses. Who do you think taught him about Christ and the riches of Christ? It had to be them. It had to be them. They were faithful parents. They risked their lives to save the life of their children. And they not only saved his life, but they saved his eternal soul. Because here in this picture, we have a picture of Moses. He's at this point, he has to make a decision. Do I stay an Egyptian and enjoy the comforts and the pleasures and the wealth, everything I have? I have everything here. And he says, no, Christ is greater. The treasures that come with him are far greater. I want Christ and he is saved and the Hebrew people are saved. In the means, I believe, the faith of two slave parents. So this morning, my hope in this short sermon uh, is to encourage you parents, grandparents, it's for you too. You're still here. You've still got a job to do. By faith, live your Christian life. Pursue it with all you've got so that you may impart it to your children. You may give them a vision of Christ that causes them to hope in Him, to have confidence in Him. If you want a calling in your life, this is one great calling. This is where you become heroes. So... Let us rise and I'll say a prayer and dedication over you. Father in heaven, Lord, strengthen our faith that we would be people of faith. Father, help us to see you as all glorious. Help us to see you as gain. Help us to see you as pleasures to be had. Help us to see that this life in, in the little minuscule crumbs of joy or pleasure, or whatever it offers, Lord, compares nothing to you. Do that work in the heart of your church here, Father, please. Father, and bless it, Lord. Our our faith isn't in our efforts. Our faith isn't in what we can do, Lord. In, in fact, it's in spite of them. It's in you, Lord, in your favor, in your grace, and that you love when we operate in faith. Our hope is in you. Our confidence is in you. May we be people that way, of that way, Lord, to glorify you. Psalm 16, 7, 11. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me, Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Church, hope in your God and glorify him. You are sent.